0: part 3 chapter 3 of true stories from history and biography by nathaniel hawthorne this librivox recording is in the public domain the hutchinson mob lieutenant governor hutchinson continued grandfather now begin to be unquiet in our old chair. He had formerly been much respected and beloved by the people, and had often proved himself a friend to their interests. But the time was come when he could not be a friend to the people, without ceasing to be a friend to the king it was pretty generally understood that hutchinson would act according to the king's wishes right or wrong like most of the other gentlemen who held offices under the crown besides as he was brother-in-law of andrew oliver THE PEOPLE NOW FELT A PARTICULAR DISLIKE TO HIM. I SHOULD THINK, SAID LAWRENCE, AS MR. HUTCHINSON HAD WRITTEN THE HISTORY OF OUR PURITAN FOREFATHERS, HE WOULD HAVE KNOWN WHAT THE TEMPER OF THE PEOPLE WAS, AND SO HAVE TAKEN CARE NOT TO WRONG THEM. He trusted in the might of the King of England, replied Grandfather, and thought himself safe under the shelter of the throne. If no dispute had arisen between the King and the people, Hutchinson would have had the character of a wise, good, and patriotic magistrate but from the time that he took part against the rights of his country the people's love and respect were turned to scorn and hatred and he never had another hour of peace in order to show what a fierce and dangerous spirit was now aroused among the inhabitants grandfather related a passage from history which we shall call the hutchinson mob on the evening of the 26th of august 1765 a bonfire was kindled in king street it flamed high upward and threw a ruddy light over the front of the town-house, on which was displayed a carved representation of the royal arms. The gilded vein of the cupola glittered in the blaze. The kindling of this bonfire was the well-known signal for the populace of Boston to assemble in the street. Before the tar-barrels, of which the bonfire was made, were half burnt out, a great crowd had come together. They were chiefly laborers and seafaring men, together with many young apprentices, and all those idle people about town who are ready for any kind of mischief doubtless some schoolboys were among them while these rough figures stood around the blazing bonfire you might hear them speaking bitter words against the high officers of the province governor bernard hutchinson oliver story and other men whom King George delighted to honour were reviled as traitors in the country and now and then perhaps an officer of the crown passed along the street wearing the gold-laced hat white wig and embroidered waistcoat which were the fashion of the day but when the people beheld him they set up a wild and angry howl and their faces had an evil aspect which was made more terrible by the flickering blaze of the bonfire i should like to throw the traitor right into the blaze perhaps one fierce rioter would say yes and all his brethren too another might reply AND THE GOVERNOR AND OLD TOMMY HUTCHINSON INTO THE HOTTEST OF IT. AND THE EARL OF BUTTE ALONG WITH THEM, MUTTERED A THIRD, AND BURNED THE WHOLE PACK OF THEM UNDER KING GEORGE'S NOSE, NO MATTER IF IT SINGED HIM. SOME SUCH EXPRESSIONS AS THESE, EITHER SHOUTED ALOUD, OR MUTTERED UNDER THE BREATH, WERE DOUBTLESS HEARD IN KING STREET. The mob, meanwhile, were growing fiercer and fiercer, and seemed ready even to set the town on fire for the sake of burning the king's friends out of house and home, and yet, angry as they were, they sometimes broke into a loud roar of laughter as if mischief and destruction were their sport but we must now leave the rioters for a time and take a peep into the lieutenant governor's splendid mansion it was a large brick house decorated with ionic pilasters and stood in garden court street near the north square while the angry mob in king street were shouting his name lieutenant governor hutchinson sat quietly in grandfather's chair unsuspicious of the evil that was about to fall upon his head his beloved family were in the room with him he had thrown off his embroidered coat and powdered wig AND HAD ON A LOOSE-FLOWING GOWN AND PURPLE-VELVET CAP. HE HAD likewise LAID ASIDE THE CARES OF STATE, AND ALL THOUGHTS THAT HAD WEARIED AND PERPLEXED HIM THROUGHOUT THE DAY. PERHAPS IN THE ENJOYMENT OF HIS HOME, HE HAD FORGOTTEN ALL ABOUT THE STAMP ACT and scarcely remembered that there was a king across the ocean, who had resolved to make tributaries of the New Englanders. Possibly, too, he had forgotten his own ambition, and would not have exchanged his situation at that moment to be governor or even a lord. The wax candles were now lighted, and showed a handsome room, well provided with rich furniture. On the walls hung the pictures of Hutchinson's ancestors, who had been eminent men in their day, and were honorably remembered in the history of the country. Every object served to mark the residence of a rich aristocratic gentleman, who held himself high above the common people and could have nothing to fear from them in a corner of the room thrown carelessly upon a chair were the scarlet robes of the chief justice this high office as well as those of lieutenant-governor and judge of probate was filled by hutchinson who or what could disturb the domestic quiet of such a great and powerful personage as now sat in grandfather's chair the lieutenant governor's favorite daughter sat by his side She leaned on the arm of our great chair, and looked up affectionately into her father's face, rejoicing to perceive that a quiet smile was on his lips, but suddenly a shade came across her countenance. She seemed to listen attentively, as if to catch a distant sound. "'What is the matter, my child?' inquired Hutchinson. "'Father, do not you hear a tumult in the streets?' said she. "'The lieutenant-governor listened. "'But his ears were duller than those of his daughter. "'He could hear nothing more terrible than the sound of a summer breeze "'sighing among the tops of the elm-trees.' No, foolish child, he replied, playfully patting her cheek, there is no tumult. Our Boston mobs are satisfied with what mischief they have already done. The king's friends need not tremble. So Hutchinson resumed his pleasant and peaceful meditations, and again forgot that there were any troubles in the world. BUT HIS FAMILY WERE ALARMED, AND COULD NOT HELP STRAINING THEIR EARS TO CATCH THE SLIGHTEST SOUND. MORE AND MORE DISTINCTLY THEY HEARD SHOUTS AND THEN THE TRAMPLING OF MANY FEET. WHILE THEY WERE LISTENING, ONE OF THE NEIGHBORS RUSHED BREATHLESS INTO THE ROOM. A MOB, A TERRIBLE MOB, CRIED HE. THEY HAVE BROKEN INTO MR. STORY'S HOUSE AND INTO MR. Holliwell's, AND HAVE MADE THEMSELVES DRUNK WITH THE LIQUORS IN HIS CELLAR, AND NOW THEY ARE COMING HITHER, AS WILD AS SO MANY TIGERS. FLEE, LIEUTENANT GOVERNOR, FOR YOUR LIFE, FOR YOUR LIFE. FATHER, DEAR FATHER, MAKE HASTE, SHRIEKED HIS CHILDREN but Hutchinson would not hearken to them. He was an old lawyer, and he could not realize that the people would do anything so utterly lawless as to assault him in his peaceful home. He was one of King George's chief officers, and it would be an insult and an outrage upon the king himself IF THE LIEUTENANT GOVERNOR SHOULD SUFFER ANY WRONG. I HAVE NO FEARS ON MY account," SAID HE. I AM PERFECTLY SAFE. THE KING'S NAME SHALL BE MY PROTECTION. YET HE BADE HIS FAMILY TO RETIRE INTO ONE OF THE NEIGHBOR'S HOUSES. HIS DAUGHTER WOULD HAVE REMAINED, BUT HE FORCED HER AWAY. The huzzas and riotous uproar of the mob were now heard close at hand. The sound was terrible, and struck Hutchinson with the same sort of dread as if an enraged wild beast had broken loose and were roaring for its prey. He crept softly to the window. There he beheld an immense concourse of people, filling all the street and rolling onward to his house. It was like a tempestuous flood that had swelled beyond its bounds and would sweep everything before it. Hutchinson trembled. He felt at that moment that the wrath of the people was a thousandfold more terrible than the wrath of a king that was a moment when a loyalist and an aristocrat like Hutchinson might have learned how powerless are kings, nobles, and great men when the low and humble ranged themselves against them. King George could do nothing for his servant now had king george been there he could have done nothing for himself if hutchinson had understood this lesson and remembered it he need not in after years have been an exile from his native country nor finally have laid his bones in a distant land there was now a rush against the door of the house the people sent up a hoarse cry at this instant the lieutenant governor's daughter whom he had supposed to be in a place of safety ran into the room and threw her arms around him she had returned by a private entrance father are you mad cried she will the king's name protect you now COME WITH ME, OR THEY WILL HAVE YOUR LIFE, True MUTTERED HUTCHINSON TO HIMSELF, WHAT CARE THESE ROARERS FOR THE NAME OF KING? I MUST FLEE, OR THEY WILL TRAMPLE ME DOWN ON THE DOOR OF MY OWN DWELLING. HURRYING AWAY, HE AND HIS DAUGHTER MADE THEIR ESCAPE BY THE PRIVATE PASSAGE AT THE MOMENT WHEN THE RIOTERS BROKE INTO THE HOUSE the foremost of them rushed up the staircase and entered the room which hutchinson had just quitted there they beheld our good old chair facing them with quiet dignity while the lion's head seemed to move its jaws in the unsteady light of their torches perhaps the stately aspect of our venerable friend which had stood firm through a century and a half of trouble, arrested them for an instant, but they were thrust forward by those behind, and the chair lay overthrown. Then began the work of destruction. The carved and polished mahogany tables were shattered with heavy clubs, and yewn to splinters with axes. The marble hearths and mantelpieces were broken. The volumes of Hutchinson's library, so precious to a studious man, were torn out of their covers, and the leaves sent flying out of the windows. Manuscripts containing secrets of our country's history which are now lost forever, were scattered to the winds. The old ancestral portraits, whose fixed countenances looked down on the wild scene, were rent from the walls. The mob triumphed in their downfall and destruction, as if these pictures of Hutchinson's forefathers had committed the same offenses as their descendant. A tall looking-glass which had hitherto presented a reflection of the enraged and drunken multitude was now smashed into a thousand fragments. We gladly dismissed the scene from the mirror of our fancy. Before morning dawn, the walls of the house were all that remained, the interior was a dismal scene of ruin a shower pattered in at the broken windows and when hutchinson and his family returned they stood shivering in the same room where the last evening had seen them so peaceful and happy grandfather said lawrence indignantly if the people acted in this manner they were not worthy of even so much liberty as the king of england was willing to allow them it was a most unjustifiable act like many other popular movements at that time replied grandfather but we must not decide against the justice of the people's cause merely because an excited mob was guilty of outrageous violence besides all these things were done in the first fury of resentment afterwards the people grew more calm and were more influenced by the counsel of those wise and good men who conducted them safely and gloriously through the revolution Little Alice, with tears in her blue eyes, said that she hoped the neighbors had not let Lieutenant Governor Hutchinson and his family be homeless in the street, but had taken them into their houses and been kind to them. Cousin Clara, recollecting the perilous situation of our beloved chair, inquired what had become of it. "'Nothing was heard of our chair for some time afterwards,' answered Grandfather. "'One day in September, the same Andrew Oliver, of whom I before told you, "'was summoned to appear at high noon under Liberty Tree. "'This was the strangest summons that had ever been heard of, "'for it was issued in the name of the whole people.' who thus took upon themselves the authority of a sovereign power mr oliver dared not disobey accordingly at the appointed hour he went much against his will to liberty tree here Charlie interposed a remark that poor mr oliver found but little liberty under Liberty Tree. Grandfather assented. It was a stormy day, continued he. The equinoctial gale blew violently and scattered the yellow leaves of Liberty Tree all along the street. Mr. Oliver's wig was dripping with water-drops, and he probably looked haggard DISCONSOLATE, AND HUMBLED TO THE EARTH. BENEATH THE TREE, IN GRANDFATHER'S CHAIR, OUR OWN VENERABLE CHAIR, SAT MR. RICHARD DANA, A JUSTICE OF THE PEACE. HE ADMINISTERED AN OATH TO MR. OLIVER THAT HE WOULD NEVER HAVE ANYTHING TO DO WITH DISTRIBUTING THE STAMPS. A VAST CONCOURSE OF PEOPLE HEARD THE OATH, AND SHOUTED WHEN IT WAS TAKEN. THERE IS SOMETHING GRAND IN THIS, SAID LAWRENCE. I LIKE IT BECAUSE THE PEOPLE SEEM TO HAVE ACTED WITH THOUGHTFULNESS AND DIGNITY, AND THIS PROUD GENTLEMAN, ONE OF HIS MAJESTY'S HIGH OFFICERS, was made to feel that King George could not protect him in doing wrong. But it was a sad day for poor Mr. Oliver, observed Grandfather. From his youth upward it had probably been the great principle of his life to be faithful and obedient to the King, and now, in his old age, it must have puzzled and distracted him TO FIND THE SOVEREIGN PEOPLE SETTING UP A CLAIM TO HIS FAITH AND OBEDIENCE. GRANDFATHER CLOSED THE EVENING'S CONVERSATION BY SAYING THAT THE DISCONTENT OF AMERICA WAS SO GREAT THAT IN 1766 THE BRITISH PARLIAMENT WAS COMPELLED TO REPEAL THE STAMP ACT. THE PEOPLE MADE GREAT REJOICINGS but took care to keep Liberty Tree well pruned and free from caterpillars and canker-worms. They foresaw that there might yet be occasion for them to assemble under its far-projecting shadow. End of Part 3 Chapter 3